0: Amen. Amen. Um, so I fell to last week, but last week was officially the 200 years for Greensburg Baptist Church. Might we give God praise for that. Amen. Amen. 200 years the Lord has allowed us to be in this community, to proclaim the gospel, to live the gospel, as Brother Bonta said, to make disciples of this community. We pray all nations, and we're just thankful for that. We we hope and pray as we look toward 2021 that we may have an opportunity to celebrate more as a church, and we're hoping some more of our folks can be back to be a part of that. But uh, again, we just want to say, God, to God, thank you. We praise your name, and we're thankful for just the ways in which people serve. I, I'm reminded this morning, I'm thankful for many of you who have served in the nursery over year, over the years. It just It's a gift to young families to allow them the opportunity to worship Sometimes without so many other competing voices and distractions. And so I just want to say thank you. I'm thankful to be a part of a congregation of people serving and ministering to one another. This morning we're going to intentionally step away from our time in the gospel of Matthew to answer an important question here. I think that that should be on our hearts and minds during this season. It's this question. Why did Jesus come? Have you contemplated that for a moment? Why did Jesus come? I've been, I don't know if you have a yearly Bible reading plan. I hope and pray you have some type of structured plan. It just helps you intentionally walk through. And uh, this year I've been reading through uh, the the Old Testament, New Testament, the entire Bible in a year. It's kind of how my plan unfolds. And um, I guess about three, four weeks ago, I was in First John, in First John chapter 3, the text we're going to see today, man, the Lord just began to just speak to me in such a mighty way that morning of a text that I, I knew was there, but just hadn't recognized the fullness, the richness thereof. And this morning, I hope and pray that we can begin to mine some of that truth out from this text in First John chapter 3. Again, I, as I mentioned the Bible reading plan, I don't know what kind of ongoing Bible reading you do, but I want to encourage you. Uh, there's, there's the Bible app and it has a plan. It's called the project 345, and, and what it does over the time of a year, you read through the entire new Testament. You read five days a week, one chapter of the new Testament, that gives you two days a week to either catch up or read some other, uh, other portions of scripture. But over the course of a year, Lord willing, this time next year, you would have covered the entire new Testament. I want to challenge you maybe as a first step. For others of you, you've already been a part of reading, but maybe a first step for you is now, or maybe a next step is to say, hey, as I look toward 2021, I want to read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Man, I want to encourage you. There are a lot of great plans. And, and if you would just maybe touch base and to say, hey, is there a certain plan you might recommend? We, we would have some ways maybe just to encourage you and help you along that journey. But this morning literally flows from that, that time alone with the Lord and I think it's important for us today to come in and try to ask this question, why did Jesus come? Because the temptation, I don't know about you, is it, it's been a pretty busy week, hasn't it? It's a busy season in the midst of hectic and things looking different and maybe not joining with family like everybody like we used to or hope to and we long to do again. Things have just looked different. But, man, still, nonetheless, it's been a busy week. And, know, yeah, I'm reminded as that comes off my lips of talking to some of our widow widowers, actually how lonely they've been, how little plans there was for them this week. I want to encourage you as a church body, just because so many of them are not present among us, let's don't forget them, church. Have you called to check on them? Have you thought about the shut-in? Maybe the person that you haven't seen that used to be down the pew from you. Have you called to check to see how they're doing? I want to encourage as a church body, let's be intentional to love our neighbor as ourselves. to Fulfill james statement that this is pure and faultless religion to look after widows and orphans in their distress let us be faithful in that brothers and sisters but today i think again i bring this question before us why did jesus come because the temptation can be we can lull ourselves to sleep in the midst of so much going on that we miss so we fail to answer that and i think maybe even another big hurdle this text is going to present to us today is it possible that you could actually be freed from your life of sin but the sin that maybe now you're practicing that's ruling certain areas of your life, is it possible that God could actually break that? That this time next year, Lord willing, 2021, as you approach the end of the year, the things that beset you now, the things that come against your life, and this areas of sin that you're struggling with, that maybe by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, you might experience why Jesus came. To destroy to wage war on sin. You see, today, this, this big idea comes to us from the text, and it's this. Jesus came to take away sins and destroy the devil's work. Jesus came, John says to us here in 1 John 3, to take away our sins and destroy the devil's work. So let's get to it this morning, answering this question, why did Jesus come? The first truth is, Jesus came to take away our sins. Listen to it beginning in verse 4 of 1 John 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared. Now hear that verbiage again. You're going to hear it again in verse 8 and in the 9 as we come to that text. You know that he appeared, speaking of the birth of Christ. Hear that word. Some translations say you know that he was manifested, speaking of the birth of Christ, Christ coming, God becoming flesh. You know that he appeared, listen what it says, in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Verse 6 says no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So that statement of verse 5 here in 1 John 3, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Echoes of what we heard last week in Matthew chapter 1 as Brother Todd preached. And the angel Gabriel came to visit Joseph. And you remember, he begins to talk to Joseph. And we hear this language in verse 20 and 21 of Matthew 1. Joseph is considering divorcing Mary. The angel of the Lord appears to him in the dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from whom? The Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will name him Jesus. Listen to the statement. For he will what? Save his people from their sins. It's exactly what John is saying to us here in 1 John 3, verse 5. That Christ has come. The name Jesus indicates that He is the Savior. He has come to save us from our sins. But I think that brings some important questions to ask, maybe, just quickly. One, do we really need saving? Two, what are we even being saved from? Three, is Jesus actually adequate to do such saving? So let's answer those questions quickly. First question, do we really need saving? You heard it in Hayden's testimony as his mom shared about repentance and he said that sin does what Hayden separates us from who separates us from God doesn't it buddy listen to the the prophet Isaiah say those very words that you shared Isaiah 59 verse 2 but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God they have hidden his face from you Isaiah says that our sins separate us from God that's why we need separate saving. We're separated from Him. Secondly, we must ask the question, well, what are we being saved from? Is it actually that bad? Listen to Paul as he writes to the church at Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning verse 8, speaking of Christ's return. It says that Christ will return in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer. Listen to this statement. What are we being saved from? Is the question we're asking here they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Did you hear that? Listen to what, what, what Paul says to them. He says that this suffering that Christ has come to rescue you from, he says he calls it suffering. He says it's punishment. He defines it as destruction. And the terrifying words is it is eternal. And he says it's away from the presence of the Lord hear from the early 1800s preacher Charles Simeon speaking about the reason why Christ came in the terror of hell and I quote can you conceive that such means would have been used for your recovery if the state into which sin had brought you was not beyond measure terrible had no misery awaited you or a misery only that was light and transient Do you suppose that God would have had recourse to such a method of delivering you from it? The point is this, if hell was not so terrible, God would not have sent Christ for you. The point is this, if you could save yourself today, God would not have sent Christ for you. There's no way to save yourself, beloved. You're separated from God and it's going to be for eternity in a place of suffering and punishment and destruction away from the very presence of the Lord. But church, fear not, fear not, for there is one who is qualified. Return back with me, if you would, to verse 5 of 1 John 3. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. As we ask this question, well, who's qualified to save us then? We're separated from God. It's going to be for eternity. Is there anyone able? Is Jesus able? Listen to what John says. The reason why he can take away sins, notice that statement at the end. And in him there is no what, church? Sin. You see, Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is what? Death. But there's a gift of God, isn't it? It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The penalty of sin relates to the fact that our bad actions, desires, and thoughts make us guilty before God. And that brings God's rightful judgment, his anger, his wrath towards sin because guess what all sin must be punished and god is a faithful and righteous judge he will punish our sin but praise god that there is one who came who had no sin of his own therefore church listen to this he can now die as your and my substitute so how does he right we're asking the question why did jesus come well how does jesus in fact save us from our sins it's right there in verse five look what he says you know that he appeared in order to, right? So why did Christ come? That's the question we're after today. Listen to what John says to us, verse 5 of first John 3. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. That statement, take away, is powerful. John doesn't say that he came to add to a spiritual to-do list like you must do this and this and this and then you can be saved. This, listen, this very fact, this very truth is what separates Christianity from all other world religions. All other religions say you must do this or do that or do this or do that to in- inherit this certain eternity or to experience a better reincarnation right? or to experience the best afterlife. There are, must be things you have to do but I think there's there's many problems with that. But two, I would just state before you today. Number one, if the requirement to get salvation is doing, then we have to ask, well, how much doing is enough? Like if you think you get into heaven by doing, then you, you've got to ask that, that age old question, how good is good enough? You'll never know. You'll never have peace. But guess what? That keeps you working, keeps you giving, Right? Keeps you doing, keeps you coming to church, keeps you doing all these things, right? Trying to be good enough. That's how somehow you get in. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God came to take away sins. He doesn't give you a to do list. He does the work for you on your behalf. Secondly, listen, this this issue of trying to think it's about doing enough good works to get into heaven. You must face this reality. Can all of your good works ever take away all your bad? They're still there, beloved, no matter how many good things you've done. The fact is you and I still have a sinful heart. And guess what? Here's the truth. Even our good things are tainted by our evilness. Isaiah says that familiar refrain, our righteousness is like what? It's like filthy rags, isn't it? The Bible says that Jesus doesn't add to. Hallelujah. He takes away our sin. The Bible says. Issues to you and I that salvation is by grace alone. It's a free gift. Through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Not by works, so that no one can what, church? No one can boast. What a moment. I I think this moment is also instructive to us in just many areas of life. Maybe I would just present a few before you. For parents, if our kids are only acceptable to us when they excel in sports or academics or the arts or music or when they get into good enough job or when they like raise enough kids the right way or whatever it is, then that relationship is always based upon works and doing enough. And there's no rest there. On the flip side of that, kiddos, if your parents are only like the best parents and like, I love you, Mom, I love you, Dad, like when they get you the best Christmas gift, they get you the newest phone or they let you stay out later or give you this freedom or privilege, guess what? Your parents then, there's really no rest. It's always based upon their performance. I mean, we can apply it to marriage too, can't we? I mean, like if if our partner, if if we only love our spouse or really happy with them, like when they're doing what we want them to do to make us happy, then the relationship is always based upon performance. Might we ask further, what about our church? Are are we a performance-based church? Like you're on the in crowd here as long as you like go on certain mission trips and you serve in these certain areas. But man, if you ever step away from that, even for a moment, we have to question, do you really love Jesus? What if instead our church was a place of relationships based upon grace? That you didn't have to serve to make yourself qualified, but you served because Christ has made you qualified. What if this place was a place where grace was shown and forgiveness in relationships and kindness was shown? Why? Because we know that we are not saved by a to-do list, but instead because Christ came to take away sins. What if this church was so Gracious and kind to one another. Can you imagine what it would look like? Could we bring you forward today as an example of that type of grace and kindness? Jesus' example to us of coming to take away sins begins to impact every area of our lives and transform the church. It is a place of grace and kindness and mercy. Notice again, though, what John says here back in the text. That Jesus came to take away sins. So how does he do this? How does Jesus take away our sins? I want to give you an example from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Back again to the prophet Isaiah in the 53rd chapter. Look what he says, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now listen to the statement. And the Lord has, what's he done, church? Laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Peter says something similar. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. See it there. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wound, you've been what, church? You've been healed. Did you hear it? The Old Testament testifies, the New Testament testifies the way that Christ comes as our substitute. How does He take away our sins? The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord laid the sin of us upon His Son. Further, Peter says He bears that sin on that cursed tree in His body. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us. That cursed tree... The one upon that tree, the Son of God, dying in your place, bearing God's wrath for you. What a moment of hope and restoration that He does for us what we could never do. He takes away sin by taking your evil thoughts, desires, and actions upon Himself and walking in the very presence of God, bearing our sin. Imagine for a moment that today you go out and you cause a terrible accident. Now, no one's injured, but you do a great deal of harm to another vehicle. That person now has a claim against you, a charge against you, a debt that you now owe. But the time comes so when you repay that debt in full, that that charge no longer stands against you. You are free from that debt. The Bible says that you and I owe a great debt to God that we could never pay. But the good news is, why we celebrate Christmas is because God came to us and for us. And He lived a sinless life. He was crucified on the cross, bearing our sins, buried on the third day by the power of God, raised again. And one day, as Paul writes, He will return. Church, God no longer has a claim on us because Christ took away our sins. Have you today repented and put your faith and trust in Christ? Are you trying to be good enough? As the Bible says, all of the ground is sinking sand. So Jesus came. Why did He come? Well, He came to take away our sins. Praise God. But secondly, listen to this truth that John is going to set before us. Jesus came for war. Did you know that? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Hear it again. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. This is challenging text. God give us grace to hear what the Spirit says unto the church. Verse 8 of 1 John 3. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, hear that refrain, there it is again. The reason the Son of God appeared, why did Christ come? That's the question we're after. John answers it twice, two times in this text. This is the second time. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. We need to ask the question. So the Son of God appeared. Okay, so why did Christ come? That's what we're after. The Son of God appeared, right? So hear that statement, Son of God appeared. The reason why was to destroy the works of the devil. We need to ask then, well, what are the works of the devil? And I think four times in these two verses, John answers that question. What are the works of the devil? Look with me if you would quickly. Verse 8, a practice of sinning. Further again, uh, verse 8, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now to verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning further. And he cannot keep on sinning. I think the context says to us, what are these works of the devil? And the works of the devil are sin or sinning. In fact, the devil is working, He maybe even now, to tempt you to sin, to lure your mind away, to distract you in these moments, to get you to think of, of sinful or evil or wicked things, or just cause you to miss hearing this very Word of God. He is working constantly in our lives to get us to rebel against God's Word by seeking our own desires and ways. Now, this is important. Why? Because we so often focus upon that Christ came to take away our sins, just as we've seen this morning. But now John is revealing to us something even more. That Christ not only came to, to pay the penalty for sin, Christ came to break the power of sin in your life. Hear that again, church. He not only came to justify you, declare you innocent in God's presence, He came to sanctify you and make you holy. We must hear this from the Word of God. John is is saying that, listen, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy. You hear that word? That is saying that Christ came to make war. He is transforming us by the power of Christ. And, And we need to ask, well, how did He do it then? If He came, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil, then we need to ask, how did He do it? I think the text tells us two things. One is by His appearing. And second, through the new birth. First, he came and he destroyed the works of the devil by his appearing. And then second, I think it says to us, he he does it through the new birth. Listen to this good hope from the gospel. Notice what he says here. Um, It's in verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Did you hear it? That statement. The Son of God appeared. Now, obviously, we know that John is speaking here about something even more than just Jesus Christ coming and being born in a manger. He's speaking of the fact that Christ lived a sinless life. He was crucified, buried, and raised again from the dead. But there's something unique that the Son of God, His very appearance, His coming, begins to destroy the works of the devil and He ultimately begins to put it to death there as He's sacrificed on the cross. He's resurrected from the dead and we know His fulfillment comes as He returns. So there's, there's a lot happening in this statement. The Son of God appeared. The Son of God was manifest But it's important for us to see as we celebrate Christmas, why did Christ come? He came to destroy the works of the devil, and he did it by his very coming. Why? Because there's no other way. There's no other way. How else does he do it? I think secondly, he does it through the new birth. Look what he says here in verse 9. That's a powerful statement. No one looks at the statement, born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, before we go any further, I want to be really clear. John is not talking about a sinless perfection as believers. In fact, 1 John, the same book, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If anyone claims to be without sin, he is a what? A liar, and the truth is not in him. He says we deceive ourselves if we claim to be without sin. John is not saying sinless perfection here. He is talking, though, about a holy way of life. And he's saying that, listen practicing sin ongoing sinful lifestyle is contrary to the fact that we have been born again he's warning the believer listen to go without any feeling or need of repentance is a dangerous thing It is, should cause you to question god what is happening in my life why is there no desire to repent this is a serious warning this practice of sinning it's dangerous In fact, he's going to tell you in verse 10, that's how you know you're a child of God, a child of the devil. It's by the way you're living. It's your fruit. But again, back to that verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. John makes clear this new birth has transformed our relationship with sin, our practice of sinning. He says we can't keep on sinning. Why? He says because we've been born of God. There's something transformational that's happening. Now listen, this isn't saying that you and I can't sin like, oh, we can't. No, we can, obviously we can clearly sin if we want to, right? And there's some depth even behind that question. But nonetheless, let's just take it at face value for a moment. So what is John saying then? Because again, we all know that, hey, listen, we can sin. In fact, we do sin. so So what's John saying? I think he's saying to us, when we are born again, we experience new desires. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 calls it a new creation. Jeremiah, in chapter 24 of Jeremiah, he says that we've received a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, I think it's verse 26, he says we've received a new spirit. Something has happened when you come to Christ that transforms your relationship with sin. What is it? Look at the text. It answers it for us. Look what it says. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for. Here's the reason why. God's seed abides in him. When a father imparts his seed to the child, there are certain things now about that child that are going to reflect the father. It may be the way they look, certain mannerisms, maybe even the way they talk, height, weight, right? Certain things about them that often are going to reflect that father. That's just the reality. John is saying to us, listen, God's seed has been imparted to you. And he's speaking ultimately of the Holy Spirit that's going to transform you. I don't know if you saw recently, but Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie, they played in a golf tournament and I only got to catch a few holes of it. And there's actually a a montage now about two minutes long of Tiger and Charlie. And I'm just going to throw just a couple images really quickly here on the screen. It was absolutely amazing to watch Charlie in these moments. Standing there just like dad, hip on, the putter, bam, after the shot, right? Even watching their swing and the follow through. It was amazing what had happened. He had spent time watching his father, but reality is that's just genetics, right? When you start to stand in certain ways and doing certain things, there's just certain things. John is saying to us, beloved, I want you to know your spiritual DNA has transformed your relationship with sin, You've been born of God. That's why we cannot continue practicing sin. It's a powerful moment. Again, might we ask the question, well, where does this power come from to destroy the practice of sin in our lives? Well, hear it again. Listen to this statement. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For, he says, God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. The power to break the pattern and practice of sin in our lives comes from God in you. Did you hear that? It's not your strength. It is Christ in you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, you can rest today. It is not your strength or power to overcome sin. It is Christ in you who is the hope of glory, Paul says. Rest today. Cry out to your Father who knows how to give good gifts. Asking Him, God, I've been born of you. I know no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. God, transform my life. Cause me to reflect the glory of Christ. But maybe you're here today and you're just wondering, Blake, might I have some other practical steps? Just to help me a little bit more along the way of how my relationship with sin. How do I, because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. How do I wage war against sin? How do you do this? Listen to this truth. Maybe five things I would just throw at you quickly today. First and foremost, abide in Christ. Blakey just said that. Yeah, because listen, if you don't get that, nothing else matters. It's the power of Christ in you. It is as Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice what he said. It's by the Spirit that we put to death the sin in our lives. We must, beloved, abide in Christ. Secondly spending time in His Word, abiding in the Word of God. It's been said the Word keeps you from sinning or sinning will keep you from the Word. Hear that again. It's been said that the Word will keep you from sinning or sinning will keep you from the Word. Which one more reflects your life right now? I want to challenge you again to spend time committing daily to spend time in the Word of God, hiding God's Word in your heart. As the psalmist says in Psalm 119, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not what, church? Sin against you. So I challenge you today, spend time in the Word of God. Third, again, as you wage war against the sin in your life, I want to challenge you to spend time in intentional prayer with confession and repentance of sin. Beloved, I I don't know how to re- relay it to you just to say that there is nothing like time alone in the presence of the Lord allowing these Scriptures to search you. I, I hope and pray today, It's similar to what took place with me that morning in 1 John 3, and I began to read this. I began to look at my life and say, Lord, there's some sin there. Holy Spirit, the Spirit began to reveal certain areas of my life, attitudes toward people or thoughts that I was holding in my mind, grudges or or different things that were there. And those moments the Spirit reveals that, those are moments you begin to confess and repent. So church, if you want to wage war against sin, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures, searching your life, spending that time in prayer. Fourth, fasting. Church, you are facing a spiritual enemy. It will not be overcome in your strength. Fasting is either denial of going without food or going out some type of practice or something that gives you intentionality to, all, to prayer, but it also reminds you of your weakness, that you can't overcome it on your own. And you're crying out, God, break this area of sin. Break this stronghold in my life. Maybe it's crying out for a child or a grandchild. Maybe children in your Sunday school room. Maybe it's children in this community of the nations. May we begin to pray and fast and cry out, oh God, do a work. We can't do it, but we know you can. Fifth and last, community. The reality is we weren't designed to do this spiritual life alone. I want to ask you right now, who in your life is asking you about your warring against sin? Who in your life is holding you accountable or asking you about time in the Word? Who is encouraging you to pray more and to move toward a time of fasting? Who right now maybe knows that area of sin that you struggle with and is intentionally praying for you this week? Reality is, for many of us, there's nobody. I want to challenge you. I know it is a strange season, and I get it, right? The hesitancy. But we are moving to community groups, looking to start Sunday, January 10th. I want to encourage you to sign up. It's there on our website. Again, we're limited right now to meeting in homes and groups of no more than eight. Right? We're doing our best to respect the government and their guidelines. There's going to be no children or youth activities. We've talked about that already on sunday nights this is intentional time for us to pour in because here's what i'm discovering and maybe you discover it too if this church has no intentional pathway for discipleship we're just hoping it happens we need intentional time i need intentional time for someone holding me accountable i need someone i can share my burdens and things with that they can pray for me and hold me accountable do you I want to challenge you today to be a part so someone can encourage you along the way as your Bible reading plan this coming year and your war against sin. Beloved, we need it. Go today to our website. Sign up to be a part of a community group. We hope and pray you will. I want to close today with a final illustration that I read recently. I think it maybe reveals the first evidence of the grace of God being revealed in our lives. Imagine for a moment that you're in a filthy room. The room is absolutely nasty, but the reality is it's dark and you don't see it. And then a match is struck, and you notice for a moment clothes everywhere, drawers pulled out. Then I hand you a flashlight, and you begin to search, and you find the bed, and the sheets are absolutely filthy. Then we hand you a halogen bulb and you begin to see dust all over the furniture and mold all over the baseboards. In that moment, you are beginning to be awakened to the truth of what that room really looks like. Beloved, as we come to Christ in the gospel and we see God in His holiness, we come like Isaiah. Woe is me. I am unclean. Today, through the gospel, have you seen your uncleanness? Has the light of God been shown upon into your heart, giving you the light, pointing you to Christ? I compel you today to come confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one and only one who can take away your sins. It's by faith, it's trust, hope in Him, no work of yourself. To the believer here today, I want to ask, have you become comfortable with a dirty room spiritually? Hear the Word of God today. You have been born again. No one born again makes a practice of sinning. It's the power of God in you to break this practice. Today, might you come and say, Oh God, I no longer want to live this way. I know that Jesus came not only to save me from the penalty of sin, but to break the very power of sin in my life. Might there be a believer this hour coming crying out. Might I leave you with this last moment of grace. It's the words to the old familiar carol. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. For Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power. When we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of what church? Comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Church, be encouraged today. Your sin has been defeated for those in Christ. And the power to break sin is not you, but Christ in you. Tidings to you of comfort and joy. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that we can rest Thank You for the good news of Jesus Christ coming to take away our sins and destroy the works of the devil. Oh God, this hour I pray for those who have not had their sins taken away that they would repent and believe upon Christ. And for the believers here, Lord, I pray today by the power of Your Holy Spirit that You would break the practice of sin in our lives. God, we pray this in hopes only of Your great love and mercy. Rescue us, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcasts of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.